Hello, I'm Jens Schönfeld, owner CEO of Individual Computers Germany, and you're listening to Scene World Podcast. Hey, everybody! It's the Scene World Podcast. Uh, I'm AJ. That's Jörg over there, living Hello. his best life. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a, yeah, yeah. So in a minute, we have David Pleasance, who is a – well, I mean, you, everyone should know who he is. He was uh, one of the big guys in Commodore UK for a while, um, really involved in the marketing and management and, and, and so forth. Or He's writing a new book. There's actually a Kickstarter for it that we'll be talking about in just a minute. But before that, we're going to do some news. Okay, so, start you with the news because I'm okay. not sure if I have so much news worthy. Yeah. Okay. Well, the one thing that one of the things that I I just recently saw was um, a couple of weeks ago, um, the future was 8-bit, who makes really good products like the SD2IEC, um, lots of stuff like that. They have um, announced that they are selling, and they're saying that it should start shipping on tw uh, June 12th, which has now passed. Um, But it's a uh, a mini pet, so it's it's a Commodore PET computer. It's based on the 2001N technology with 40 cal uh, 40 columns and whatnot. Um, there's two versions you can get. One is a standalone um, board, which is meant to um, Like it comes with a keyboard and it comes with the power supply and all that that you so you can just use it just like that. The other one is just as a replacement board that goes in your pet case and uses the power supply and the original keyboard and all that stuff. So that's uh, fairly significant. A price point? Price point is selling for uh, it starts at 205 pounds, which is about 250 dollars US. Okay. Which is, which for a fully populated, I mean, all the chips are in there. There's nothing, you don't have to go searching anything. So if you're looking for a pet, you know, a Commodore pet, even in awful rusty condition, goes for $500 or more. So this is quite a, this is, this is a, a significant deal. And it's a total replacement board. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And it says, you know, it, it's, um, it's based on the 2001 PEC technology with the 40-column text character graphics. Well, the so latest version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I said so I also saw that uh, most early PET software was designed for the normal graphics keyboard 20-key keypad. So yeah. any titles which bypass the OS keyboard routines might not work correctly with the business keyboard. You know, you know, the PET is the reason Shockpad left Commodore. He wanted mm -hmm. to do a color pad. Right. And Jack Tremler said, no, I want to make home computers, not yeah. business machines anymore. Right, right. Which is interesting because they were called Commodore business machines. <laughs> and then and then Jack said, okay, I leave. Yep. So if um, if um, um, Jack Tremler didn't have a disagreement with Jack, we would have a color pad now. Well, and, and who made the right choice with there because we ended up with the C64. Right. But what speaks against having two lines of computers, not just one? True, true. 
Um, another thing I got here is that um, the the Yandex Retro Games Battle 2020 has been announced. Um, oh, Yandex! That's one of the biggest service providers in Russia. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they are they're targeting the uh, the ZX Spectrum or the ZX Spectrum as they say, um, and they are. They're giving out cash prizes for the best games. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah, so that would three... be interesting. I would like to talk about the Spectrum scene in Russia. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, we they're offering, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. They're offering exactly. about 11, I will. Um, they're offering about $1,100 uh, for the first, pl- for first place and $870 for second and $580 for third place. We are talking about Yandex.ru, right? Um, I the believe so. Russian, the big Russian company. Um, I'm taking. Yep, yes, it is. Wow. Yep. Uh, so that's that's surprising me. Send send me a link, please. I want to see it. I'm sending it right now. There you go. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm, we know that uh, the NAS was big in Russia. Yep. And it even had its own clone, but I never, I never heard of an actual big company um, doing something with retro. Mm-hmm. And the deadline for this is, um, yeah, it's it's like November seventeenth is when voting begins. So, and and the the results will be announced on December twelfth. So there's still quite a bit of time to uh, submit if you want to do that. The time, yeah, the deadline is 152 days away, so there's a countdown timer right on the website, which we will put a link to in the podcast description. So if you are a ZX Spectrum coder or graphics guy or a person who makes games for it, um, here's a nice way that you can pick up some decent cash for that. Wow. That's 80,000 whatever that little, uh, is that a ruble? I don't I don't I know guess. what that I don't know what that symbol is. Eighty thousand something. Just Google it. Yeah. It must I mean I mean what what other currency would Russia have? I, I don't know. It's it's um Yeah, that's rubles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's uh <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so it's eighty thousand rubles for first place, sixty thousand for second, and forty thousand for third. Yeah, and there's a there's I an audience do- choice award that's twenty thousand. Wow, totally being hyped about our own news. Yeah. Yeah, well, I um, I always wanted to talk. Yeah. About different um, regions in the demo scene or mm-hmm. game scene that isn't known outside very yeah. much. I didn't know that Yandex has its its own museum. Wow. So, uh, speaking about museums, um, there's a place in Seattle, the Living Computers Museum. Um, it's one of the really big ones where you can go and see, you know, these really giant mainframes and 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 stuff, you know, from way back in the day. Um, it looks like they may not have survived the pandemic. Ooh, that's sad. Yeah, they they've they've said that. Um, they've, they've had, they've suspended all operations and they've said that they will spend 
the months ahead reassessing if, how, and when to reopen. Wow. And they are currently issuing refunds for tickets and donations and memberships. Wow. So that if is you a shame. Are, if you're already issuing refunds, then you have no hope. Right. In that's doing the, something with the money that you have. That is the that's the, that's the fear. It's it's a it's it's a bit weird how this pandemic thing changes stuff totally. Yeah. And um this dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. In good and in bad ways. Yeah. Also in museum news, the Museum of Electronic Games and Art, also known as the Mega, um, has announced that there will be developer kits available for pre-order next week for did the you, Mega 65. Did you read the email I replied to or did you get your own email? I got I, I did not get an email. I just saw this elsewhere on the on the news thing. No, you did get an email. You are kidding I, me. I, I got nothing. No, you got an email. I got nothing. Yeah, but but I mean you, you knew from the email about it, right? Yes, yes. That's what was my question. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Oh, but I, I saw it posted elsewhere as well. Before the email or after? Just after. Ah. I guess that he emailed it to me because I'm the gang leader or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be a good point talking to them again after Absolutely. the thing is released. Because yeah. the last two interviews here are just like, yeah, we are close, but mm-hmm. not so much. Yeah. And well, I, you know, they. Start. They were, you know, they didn't have a real deadline set for when it was going to be done. And that was probably the best, that really was the best, um, the best way to do it because it let them take their time and get it, get it right and not have to be, you know, exactly. and not have, have backers and, 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 and other investors, you know, climbing up their butts, you know, complaining about, you know, whether it's, you know, when it's, when it's getting done and whatnot. So I've seen now that I'm like, I'm looking at the hardware and it's got, you know, a, a, a power, you know, like an FPGA main integrated circuit. It's got a very nice uh, Cherry MX keyboard. Um, these come in, the, the, the uh, development ones come in a uh, plexiglass case rather than an actual, like, you know, the, the kind of custom Q, uh, C65 cases. Um But yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that come with these uh, these developer kits. Nice. And that is pretty awesome. I really I really want one. I I I still am am just chomping at the bit to get to get a C65, and I have no idea why. There's no there's no purpose to it. It does. There's nothing that it can. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's the 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 uses for it are non-existent, but I really really want one. Hmm. So that's pretty much what I got. What what are you? Uh... Well, the only news I've got is that um, that a Command and Conquer remastered collection was released, mm-hmm. and uh, there's one thing that really annoyed me again. One guy, one guy on YouTube compared the re-release of Commander Conquer, the Gold Edition, um, 
video sequences resolution yeah. Yeah. with the um with the remastered and saying yeah well probably the quality is worse because they had to get rid of the scan lines no that's not true the first edition to, to the, from 2005 didn't have scan lines only the gold edition uh, the same the same with um with um red alert red alert had on the dos version no scan lines but mm. on the Windows version. And the Windows version had a higher resolution. And I guess in order to make not the videos pixelated, they decided to go with scan lines. Right. So, so I'm totally, um, you know, anyway, disappointed when I, when I see such YouTube videos. They they didn't take five minutes to do a proper research. <laughs> yeah, that that's happens quite a bit. Edition. That's probably the that's probably the, the original. That's why it's called gold edition. You know, <laughs> that is because you know they never did a normal edition. They just went with the gold edition. You know, exactly. Of course, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that online. The, the YouTube is <sighs> rife with people that don't bother to do the research. I mean, even if it's on your face. On yeah. your face. Yeah. yeah. Well, it only take yeah. three seconds of Googling to find out that, that, that that's wrong. You know, it, that's yeah. all even, you need to even, do. Even, even if you don't Google, if you see gold edition, that's like, wait a second. If there's something is gold, maybe there was an original. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. No, no, that must be the original. The year is wrong also, but who cares about release year, right? Right, that's right. Totally yeah. not important. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! And and the thing is, I mean, I mean, you saw the video. Um, the thing is, the fact that they used AI and they didn't have original recordings shows because the uh, first, the first uh, Commander Conger didn't have scan lines. Yeah, so we should. So the 4K scale up, it has a lot better quality in my opinion yeah, we, we should we should explain to the to the audience that this is you know the, the command and conquer remaster um that has it you know the original game has cutscenes, and as they increase the the screen resolution and the graphics and everything for the rest of the game when it comes to these cutscenes, they didn't have I, I guess they lost the original the original recordings the original masters for that so exactly. they're working off of what was in the game, and so they used an, a- an algorithm to um, to blow up and smooth the edges on these things. And you can kind of see it in some of the some of it. You know, they they look like they've been blown up and and kind of blurred a little bit. And... Exactly. But the red alert, the quality is much worse because they only had scan line right material. And the original Command and Conquer was no scan line. Right. And that is that makes a significant difference because um, the AI was much better in um, blowing up the material without scan lines because mm-hmm. you don't have any. You know the problem with scan lines is I don't know how much how many people realize that that only every second. Um, line is used so right. you have to you have some information some picture information missing and that's the point here mm-hmm. 
and that's making it blurry and right. stuff. Right, right. Yeah, because it's got to fill in those lines with what it thinks should be there. Exactly. So in order to reach, uh, to receive the um, better resolution back then, they just made artificial scan lines. Okay. So it looks less, yeah, less edgy. Right. Yeah. Oh well. Well, I mean, they didn't think that um, that uh, 24 years later somebody would try to make a 4K out of the material. No, nobody ever does. Nobody ever does. I, I, I would, I would argue that that's just a, just a. No, when people are making a game or any kind of software, they don't think, oh, this is going to be used 20, 30 years from now. Or, or someone's going to try to remaster this 20, 30 years from now. Which is another question. I mean, the uh, retro hype actually started exactly 10 years ago. Now mm-hmm. the question is, is it a hype again, or did it become a normal genre now? I think it's 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 kind of a normal genre. Retro is very... It's... it's, it's, it's it has, I mean, you look at the amount of media and whatnot that's focused on that. You know, one of the, you know, most popular shows around Stranger Things is set in the 80s. You know, I mean, there's a couple of shows that are set in, in that time period. Um, there's so much new stuff, new games and new hardware being made for these old machines. Um, I think that it's gone from being like a, just a just a temporary a hype and excitement about about older stuff to being um, a real actual market. I, I mean, you know, the the C64 is in stores and is selling well, and people people really like it. And it's one of the one of the few small like like one of the few reproduction consoles that and then there's a whole argument of whether the c64 is a console or not but but it's one of the few reproduction consoles that really has been received well by the community well it's more like a, um, a home computer yeah especially the full-size one that's got a keyboard yeah. and whatnot and and lets you drop right into basic and and do but, what you would normally do but the excitement in the in the retro slash commodore scene isn't as big as with the dtv because if you look close at it, it's emulation versus FPGA. Yes. Well, I the the DTV was a lo- was a lot different in that the DTV was was basically a whole C64 on a chip, and you know that was Jerry Ellsworth's you know baby with that, and and there was a lot of talent that went into that. Um, the the and and at the time that was really the only way that you could do it. At the time, you know, FPGAs and emulation and whatnot, like emulation wasn't the machines weren't fast enough to do a good C64 emulation. You know, it, it wasn't until um, it, it, it wasn't until fairly recently even that that you, know, you used to need like a, a top end PC or Mac to even get a C64 emulated well, which blew my mind because, that you know, you would think that, you know, uh, a, a a PC that is you know a, a two gigahertz or something should be able to do a one megahertz sixty five oh you know sixty five ten but there, with all the different uh, custom machines it's not it's not emulating one chip it's got to emulate all these different aspects of the thing you know and it's it does take a lot of of power to do it so 
back then with the DTV, the only way to do it really was the way that Jerry did it. Whereas now you have options for different ways that you can do it. And, and that's what they've done. Mm. One of the big things that I've seen, um, that people want to really get into is the guts of what the C64 can actually do outside of its emulation. I've seen people talking about, they want to make demos for the actual underlying hardware. And they're trying to get information on how to access that and how to do stuff with it. And, you know, obviously people are, they're a little bit, you know, cagey with releasing that information, you know, but still because it's capable of way higher resolutions and and better sound and all that stuff than what the emulated version of the thing is capable of. And so they want to mess with the actual hardware. You know, the problem is the DTV, nobody got paid until it went bankrupt anyway. Yep. It's just like, how did that even? How did that even happen? How can you become bankrupt with with a product that was originally meant for the American hard uh, market? You know, originally, originally they only planned for the um, NTSC version, mm-hmm. and then they realized, wow, most NTSC versions were sold over Europe. Yeah. People were calling. QVC in America, like, do you yep. ship to Europe? I want this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah. and this um, and this Paul version came later, and they still made, they still went bankrupt, and they she and they they didn't they didn't uh, pay Sherry Ellsworth or anything mm-hmm. anybody yeah. involved. So it's yeah. it's a, it's a shame in a way um it, it which is, is also yeah. a topic we have in this interview that you are about to hear later yeah. if we finish this interview section at some point <laughs> uh, this new section at some point yeah. yeah yeah now that's 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 been one of the, the the main themes with commodore people is that you know when you run commodore you you badly mismanage your funding and and your you know your company and that's that happened with commodore it happened with with Tulip, it ha- well, happened with Escom. Except the last time, um, uh, the previous owner um, who did those PCs overpriced. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gateway. No, 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 no. The one before you remember the American guy who did the PCs in a C64 case. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. They they went out of business because he died. He died. Yeah. Yeah. But I still don't think that they were doing. I don't think that they were doing great business because they weren't selling these things like hotcakes because it was just a PC in a case that looked like a C64. And the price point six thousand dollars. Yeah, six thousand dollars for a basically a laptop in a, in a bread bin. I mean that's. No, it was not a laptop. It was a desktop uh, motherboard in it. So what, it was it? it was not des it was not notebook hardware. It okay. was desktop hardware. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Yeah. Either way. Either way. No, yeah, no, that's no, 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 not, no, 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 no. Laptops are generally more expensive than the price point would be explainable. But right. this was just desktop hardware. Right. Right. Yeah. Either way, it was way overpriced for whatever it was. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of business they they how much money they actually had on there, but then the guy doing it passed away, and so it all went defunct. But I imagine if it had continued on, it would have eventually flopped like everything else. Well, we we, ne- we unfortunately we, we will never know. Mm. 
his business partners decided to not continue without him. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's all the news I've got. Yep, that's me too. So why don't we get on over to um, David Pleasance? And have a pleasant interview. Yes, he's over there being very pleasant. Yeah, or pleasantly waiting or something. I don't know. There's a there's a pun I can use there, and I can't think of what it is. So A pleasant surprise. Yeah. So let's go talk to him. Today we have another podcast guest, a very known person, David John Pleasants, former CEO of UK and before you were a sales manager at Commodore. And we are talking to you today because you are working on a new book and you started a new Kickstarter just recently. And the book is called From Vultures to Vampires, um, 20... Five years of copyright chaos and technology tri triumphs, right? Yes, that's correct. Wow, that's a long uh, title. Well, it's a it's a 25 year span. The book is, <laughs> so it has to. In some ways, it has to have a long title. Um, and it's, this is really quite interesting, actually, because um, as as a lot of people know, uh, after Commodore um, went. Uh, and ESCOM took over. I completely got out of the industry. I I, uh, I, I, I went deliberately under the radar. I, uh, I, I remarried. I took my wife and stepdaughter to Australia. We lived in, in Australia. for. We had a restaurant for five years and a few other businesses. And it wasn't until I came back onto the scene by being invited to the Amiga 30 event in, in Amsterdam uh, in 2015 And I, I was asked to be a guest speaker there. And I have to be honest, I got on stage and I don't even remember what I said because it was all a blur to me. It was so crazy. Uh, but it wasn't until then I walked into that room and all of these people are coming up to me and saying, can I have your autograph, David? And I don't know what on earth, what on earth are you talking about? You know, and, and it seems that in all that time while I was away, people had got this impression that I was some kind of a rock star. I don't know quite why. Um, But anyway, um, obviously from that moment on, and I was back into the scene, if you like, and I was invited to many of these uh, Amiga events around the world and Commodore events. And um, I'm one of these people, I just, I love meeting people. And, and um, I think they enjoy meeting me because I'm always just the same guy. And um, I found out that as I started telling all the stories about what happened at Commodore, And everybody said to me, oh, David, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And I honestly didn't think there was enough material there. But eventually I, I said, "Okay, I'll concede and I'll write the first book, which was Commodore, the inside story. And um, having, never having written anything before in my life. So I, anyway, I finished writing my book and I read it back and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and the reason I didn't like it was that everything I wrote, it was more like, a book about David Pleasance than it was a book about Commodore, which when I thought about it was probably inevitable because everything I wrote about was through my eyes and my ears. Of course, yeah. So then I thought, okay, what I need to do, I need to have a wider perspective on this, but it also needs to be from the inside. So then I contacted several people that uh, all worked for Commodore and asked for them to write a chapter, and that was people like Dave Haney, 
uh, even uh, Dr. Peter Kittle um, and uh, R.J. Michael, of course, uh, uh, and Beth Richards. She was the lead engineer working on the CD1200 project, which, of course, never got finished. And in the end, I ended up with a book with 368 pages, uh, 90,000 words. I also got a few people from outside of Commodore, but people who dealt with us, to just say a few words, in truth, what it was like to deal with Commodore, because some of them didn't like us, and, and I wanted it to, to, everything to be the truth. And, and anyway, the net result is that I think the book came out fantastically well. I've had incredible reviews from it. Uh, <laughs> except from one person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. There was, uh, I was just about to say that, except for one person. Um, but I don't really care about that at all anyway. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. The main thing is that, you know, uh, just under 2,500 two books I've sold, and not one of them through a bookstore. All, it's all been direct sales. Except I did. I've sold a few through Amiga Kit, uh, the wholesale um, guys down in Cardiff, um, because um, they wanted to, and uh, fair enough, that was okay. Um, anyway, so once that book was out and done, and I thought, well, that's it, that's me done. But since I've been back, um, everybody I'm meeting, and I'm meeting you know, all sorts of people from the industry, and and I've got to be honest with you, every single person I met has been a, just wonderful people to meet very, very genuine, very friendly, and, you know, and they started to tell me all of these stories about the nightmares that had happened after ESCOM bought uh, Commodore Assets, and more and more and more that I'm hearing, I'm hearing all about um, the lawsuits and people people develop, wanting to develop things were suddenly getting a, a legal cease and desist uh, notice put on them. Because people were were saying you've got you can't use that. That's my copyright. I own this trademark. I I own this um, this uh, logo and so on and so forth. And, and what, tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, what what it seems it was like. Um, it was like um, uh, some people after ESCOM went, and then Amiga Technologies, who were p really part of ESCOM, after they kind of messed up what they were doing. It seems that there were some people who were genuine, some people who had, had big plans for what they wanted to do with the product and its technology. Other people just wanted a piece of the flesh. They were like, you know, they, they were scavengers trying to grip onto some rip shreds of things, mainly for greed. You know, if I own this, then I can, I can charge anybody to use it, this sort of thing. And to be honest, it was completely a nightmare from what I'm being told. Remember, I wasn't around. So I'm learning all this is all brand new to me. Actually, you um, you mentioned you have been first in touch with the scene uh, 2015 at the Amiga um, 30 event, but a year earlier, Dan Wood actually interviewed you for his YouTube channel. That is how I got to know about you. I don't think so. No, wasn't that a year before? No, I don't or was think it, so. Or was it the same year? Because yeah, I know well, I saw the video before, and then I saw you at the Amiga show. No, no. Well, the thing is that Dan and and Ravi were at the Amsterdam, and they they <sighs> inter no, I'll tell you exactly what happened. They interviewed me there, right in ah, Amsterdam. It was then, in Amsterdam. Okay. When no, but when they got home, then turned the volume on, <laughs> so that all this recording of me, but with no sound. So they came to the. There was a Commodore uh, UK. Uh, event, uh, Amiga UK event in Peterborough where I live and they 
they then did that video with me there to make up for the one that they'd not recorded um, in Amsterdam. So the very first event was most definitely Amsterdam. Ah, okay, 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 okay. I see, I see. And that was the same year? Or yeah, yes, the same year. Ah, okay, okay. I always thought that that it was well, a year earlier, but well, okay. No, actually, it might even have been a year later. August. I think it was a year later. It was the following year because we we had August was uh, Amiga 30 in Amsterdam, and October was Amiga 30 in um, a, a Noise. And I think we did the Peterborough one the following year. I just remember that the Amiga Amsterdam event was that event where Petro Tichenko wrote the longest Facebook post I've ever seen in history. Mm. <laughs> I, I didn't know before that you can write such long posts on, on Facebook. Um, but yeah, um, but you know why? I mean, I don't, I've never seen that poster. But do you know why he was angry? Yeah, yeah, he felt he felt he wasn't taken care of like um, a VIP of former worker of Commodore in the way he should be taken care of. Well, that that's I mean I'm sure that's a part of it. But the actual real reason, and and um, and he 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 won't deny because the the organisers of, of the event. You know, they all agree because they told me the story. What happened was that when they contacted me, um, this is uh, Marcel Frankenay and uh, Falk at the Gans and, and so on. When they contacted me, they sent me an email. They said, uh, Mr. President, uh, we would love you to come and uh, be a speaker at, at our event. Um, is it possible and how much would you charge? That's exactly what they wrote. They were more or less word for word. So I got back to him and I said, look, well, it'd be a real pleasure to come to you. I said, I don't want to charge you anything. But on the other hand, I don't think it should cost me anything. So if you're prepared to just pay a budget flight and a, and a cheap bed and breakfast, I'll be more than happy, right? Anyway, it turns out that they'd, when they contacted Petro, he had demanded a certain amount of money as a fee, uh -huh. right? And they, they allocated him. I think they allocated him an hour and 20 minutes for his spot. But suddenly they've got me coming along and then they've got all other people as well who they all want to get involved. So they went to Petro and said, look, you're still going to get the same fee, but we're going to cut you down on your time so we can fit all these other people in, one of which was me. right? And he absolutely spit the dummy. He ah, absolutely okay. went crazy. And, okay. and, and so what happened is that when the show ended that first day, um, we all went on a, on a cruise on the canal a dinner cruise, and he was supposed to be on there. He walked, stormed off. He put all his stuff in the car and drove away. He was angry. He was like a sport child. Yeah. But that, that's the reason why, is that um, they cut him down on his time for the speeches. Wow. Well, that's that's something that can happen. Well, um, I, I have spoken to a lot of people from Commodore, and you are known to say always, I'm just saying the truth and nothing else. And I remember that, for example, Michael Tomczyk, who was the first person I interviewed, he he was um, always proclaiming himself as being the leader of the Vic 20 team, you know. And a couple of years later, when I spoke to Yesh Terakura from Commodore Japan, he said that this sto this story is not true at all. So. A lot of times when you talk to somebody from Commodore, you have somebody else who tells you the same story, but from a different point of view. Yeah, now sure. I've seen also stories from um, um, uh, Leonard Trammell uh, that, that say that, that Yash Terakura had nothing to do with it either. 
So it's it's yeah, everyone's people, you know, memory is kind of faulty to begin with. And, you know, after so many years, there's so many people involved. Nobody has the same stories anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that's true. But, um, for example, in, in, in Leonard Tremiel's case, I mean, I've never met Leonard. Um, but um, what happened is that um, when when Jack left, when his father left Commodore, which was around about February of um, uh, 80, 84, um, because I actually met Jack for about two minutes, I shook his hand, and, and that was at the, C, the Winter CES in Las Vegas in January of 1984. Uh, I'd only been with Commodore a few months. Um, and not long after that, Jack left. And the story is that um, it was a falling out over the um, over the, the pet jet that um, uh, Irving Gould, who was the chairman and major shareholder, who was and the truth is he he was a tax exile, right? Because he had he had um, he had a place in the Bahamas where he used to fish um, most weekends. He had a place in Canada which he was the resident of, and a place in the states. And if he stayed longer than three days in any one place, he would have to pay tax. Right. So um, this, the story is that um, uh, Jack had um, uh, sort of approached Irving and said, you know, you can't use the company jet for this reason. Uh, and and Irving said, what, what, what's wrong? He said, and, and Jack said, not while I'm president. And so um, Irving said, well, bye bye then sort of thing. Um, Whereas uh, what Leonard Tremiel's uh, that was his that was Leonard Tremiel's story, right? There is some truth in that, but the main reason was that Jack Tremiel wanted to bring into the board his three sons, right? And that's what he tried to do. Now remember, Jack only being a six percent shareholder because he needed the money and sold a lot of his shares to Irving. But the thing is, this is that you cannot, under any circumstances, um, allow a a, a board to be infiltrated by people who don't have a position. See, when you make up a board of a company, what the ideal situation is to have people who each have different skills, a bit like jigsaw puzzle, and they, those skills match each other so that you have a complete picture. And that is, that is a board that runs the company because they all talk to each other, they all contribute to give you an overall benefit for the business. But just bringing in your three sons because they're your sons, you know, that's... So that's the real reason why why Jack left um, uh, uh, Commodore. Um, and that's actually what he ended up doing when he was an Atari. Eventually, didn't he? he brought his sons into the yeah into the business yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to the new book, um, which is what I think we want to. I think your audience want to listen about. Um, essentially, um, so what happened is I started doing some investigation. Uh, from people that I, I've known a long time, people like um, uh, Mike Batalano at Cloanto, he's in the centre of all of this. I've known him probably the longest out of anybody, because um, uh, when I was doing all of the Amiga bundles, the Batman pack and stuff like that, every, I, every pack I did, I used to use Electronic Arts D-Paint, one or two or three as they developed. And one day they came to me, EA did, and if they'd have said to me, David, we're in, you know we need some more money, we're, we need to get some more revenue from it, that's one thing. But they didn't do that. They came to me and they said, look, we know that we're the only product you can put in here, so therefore we're going to charge you more money. 
And I don't like that. It's like having a gun put to your head. I, I don't do business like that. So I thought, well, I'll show you. And I looked and I found, of course, that, that uh, a, a professional paint by um, a Cloanto was a, a pretty damn good product. They had some better features and some not so good features, but overall it was a good product. So I did the deal with him. And that, so that's how long I've known Mike. But, you know, he is definitely much in the center of this um, lawsuit situation. He, you know, he's, and in fact, there's this, this lawsuit still raging at the moment, still mm -hmm. current. Um, but anyway, I contacted a lot of these people um, who were involved one time after another. And I said to them, look, I want to do some, uh, I'm writing a book, I'd like to, to interview you and possibly even video you. But I want you to tell the truth and I will publish the truth, you know. Um, and, you know, out of all the people I contacted, uh, and there's still about 10 or 11 I need to, but most I have, every single one of them said yes, not a problem. Um, so I thought, well, this is a good basis. Uh, and one of those people that I wrote to was, of course, Trevor Dickinson, because he's a on technology and, you know, and anyway, uh, and he, he answered back and said, yes, of course. He said, by the way, may I, he said, I've got lots and lots and lots of information that he'd actually recorded uh, over the 25 years while it was happening. Hmm. He said, I've done all kind of most of the donkey work. So he said, I was thinking of actually publishing it myself, but maybe it's better if I co-author with you. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic because so what we're now what we're now going to have is we're now going to have all of his stuff, which most of it is in chrono chronological order. There's a couple of little things we've got to change. But what I'll be able to do is we'll have his story the way it was recorded at the time it happened. And then I'll talk to the people that were involved and say, is that your version of it? And so we end up with with two versions of the same story, one right up to date and with some hopefully with some juicy bits, because that's really what people want to read. So I think that what, what we're ending up with is, is something which um, uh, I think everybody's going to really, really appreciate knowing the full story on. But at the same time, what I noticed is that while all of this was going on, all of this scavenging and stuff like that, in spite of all of that, there have been some absolutely fantastic products developed. And so that's when I came up with this title uh, uh, from Vultures to Vampires, because it's the most perfect title <laughs> from the vultures that were scavenging for the remnants of, of Commodore and Amiga until now, in my opinion, the, the, the vampire is one of the best um, products I've seen for a very, very long time, particularly the standalone four unit. And so it just it just gave me that, that rise to a fantastic title. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure that um, people, everyone I've asked, they really love the title. So hopefully... What, what do you make of the current um, state of of copyright with the with the Commodore stuff? Because we've we've run into that bump ourselves with uh, we have an <laughs> we have an Amiga version of the magazine, and uh, one of the things that we did with the C64 version is we have an online version where you can watch it. You you can view the magazine over the website, and we wanted to do that with the Amiga version as well. And it became an issue of we need a version of the Kickstart that we can put on this in, in this online emulator so people can see it. And we went to both Cloanto and to Hyperion and both of them were like, we're not getting involved. You can't have it. Or, or I, I, I think, I think one of them told us we could, we could use it, but, but um, don't be surprised if we get sued or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> both, both told me we can give you a license, but the other party we are in court with might sue you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly that's a perfect example. And remind me to get back to you and we'll, we'll make, make that part of the book because it's a story that needs to be told, right? But that's exactly what the problem is. And, and, and that's why I say the book starts off about being, you know, terrible times. It started, I mean, what the book actually starts from the day of the auction in New York um, where Escom bought the, 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 all the uh, assets. I was actually in there in the court that day. So it's a great place for me to start the book. And then I t we're talking about that the, the time that what when ESCOM had it, how they screwed it up. Uh, they did lots of things crazy, overstretched themselves. They they only kind of partly funded Amiga. They never really wanted Amiga. That's, that's the truth of the matter. They never really wanted Amiga. Uh, and I never understood that because in, 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 the, in the courtroom, we, I said to them, sell us the Amiga part. You know, you, you, you don't want it, let us have it. That's what, that's what we want. And, and they wouldn't, they just, they just were, they, they were, um, what's the right word? It wasn't selfish, they just didn't want anything, anybody to have anything. What, know, did they, it, what did they actually want, if not the Amiga? Well, the thing that I think that they wanted, and, and, would, and what would, in my opinion, have made sense, is they wanted the CBM name. Because at one time, CBM was as powerful as IBM. Yes. And I, and I could see them ha having a new, a new range of PCs, a higher spec range of PCs, which they bad CBM. Therefore, they could charge a higher price for it, make a bigger margin. That made perfectly good sense because the Commodore name throughout Europe, as we all know, was a very highly regarded name. Um, they, I think they actually did produce a few CBM ones, but they... They were running out of money then. They'd, they'd overstretched themselves. They'd just spent, you know, $15 million buying the, the assets. Then, the, then they decided that they wanted to get into the retail market. God knows why. So they bought, <laughs> they, they bought all of the SDL stores because Silica Distribution was one of my distributors who obviously when we went under, eventually they went under. Um, and they also bought all the Rumbelow stores as well. 150-odd stores I think they bought. Now, they were doing exactly what Commodore did. They never had a business plan. They didn't know are they are they manufacturers or are they uh, are they a distributor of other people's product that they just get badged or are they retailers? You can't be all three. How can you possibly be all three, especially when you've got machines coming out of the Far East with much higher specs and at lower prices every every week. And this was going through, this is the period, if you remember, when Intel, the only business, only company in the world that used to eat its own young. <laughs> and you know what I mean by that? They would release a, a chip and it would, you know, it would have all these features. And before it had been on the market, you know, two, three or four weeks, they'd release a brand new one with a higher spec at less money. And they kept doing that to all these people who are handling chips. They were getting their fingers burned. It was like buying fruit. That goes off in a few days. It's rotten. <laughs> you have to throw it away. Yeah, and that's actually I heard how Ascom finally got bankrupt because they bought um, a, um, a big a big amount of outdated um, CPU chips. <laughs> so when there was the Christmas um, the Christmas sale, nobody was actually buying the systems because. The CPU was outdated by that time. Yeah, it's a very dangerous game indeed to, to be in that. It's okay if you are in a market like Amiga was, where you had you had it was all your own proprietary stuff. 
you didn't depend on anybody else. Right. That's a different proposition entirely. Um, but they also what, didn't with the with the Amiga. They had they put no development money into that. I mean, they were making the four thousand and the twelve hundred, and by that by this point, these things were outclassed by most every other machine on the market. But they kept sticking with that, and they didn't they didn't put anything into making. I, what was it? The, the Walker that they were they were looking at, but it never got anywhere. Well, as um, uh, as uh, Trevor says, we, we've got a little three-minute video talking about the book, which we, which is on the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as Trevor says, it looks like a cross between a vacuum cleaner, um, a, like Darth Vader's mask, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, something on Star Wars dog. That's what it looks like. Um, but um, I, what I call it is because it was it was Petro de Tenko's baby. I call it the wanker. Not the <laughs> 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 yeah. So so yeah. so anyway, um, the, yeah. the the concept of the book is to tell every fill in the gaps um, that uh, our wonderful community, who in spite of all of these things, our community is getting bigger and bigger all the time. It's absolutely astonishing. It really, really is. But you see, I think there is a huge future for for. Um, uh, for Amiga, uh, not I mean there'll never be a, a new Amiga um, computer because you can't backwards compatible make something that's technologically new. Right. You can't do that; it's impossible. There has to come a time when you have to say that's the cutoff point. We're now on something completely different, right? Uh, and I think that that would have been the way forward. But you know what a lot of people don't even know is that that, that when Escom bought bought the, the, the assets and they had the rights to everything, they ignored the, in my opinion, the most valuable assets that there was. First of all, is they let every engineer go. They didn't keep one engineer, not one. You know, not, right. not nobody, nobody like David Haney and people, they didn't keep them. But the other thing is that I know that when they did their due diligence, as Colin and I did, because Colin and I, we registered to be in the auction, we had to, you had to, you know, officially register and put a deposit down. And once you do that, then you have the right to do your due diligence. So I went, we both, Colin and I both went to Westchester. Colin was looking at all the books, all the financials, and I'm looking at the technology. And um, uh, in the engineering department was Dr. Ed Hepler. And he had been working on this this um, project for probably about 18 months, I think, in this, in secret. This was the project called Ombre, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when I saw that, he he, he actually cobbled it together because it wasn't a finished chip. But he cobbled it together with different pieces of software and showed me basically what it could do. And what, what they had then, they had a an HP RISC-based uh, core to which they added a 3D rendering engine, a blitter chip, a chunky planar. It had 5.1 surround sound stereo built in, which was a state-of-the-art in 94.5. And what this thing could do, there is nothing on the market today that comes even close to it. Nothing. With all the graphics cards you want to stuff into a PC, there was nothing that can come close to what this product was. And they never even looked at it. They just let it go. Now, does that tell you that they were interested in the Amiga and its long-term future? You know, it was a completely misguided purchase. The whole thing was wrong um, just because he had the money. And, of course, he had Bernard Van Tienen involved, and Bernard is a known crook. He was a known crook. He was sued by the, by the Dutch liquidators mm. big time 
And, and in my first book, I've got an article that was um, printed by a Dutch uh, newspaper all about the, the court, uh, what was happening and the, all, all of the misdemeanors of Bernabantina. And I, I contacted them and got their permission to not only to print it, but also to, to uh, uh, translate it into English. So that's in the book. And he was known as a crook. Everybody knew that, you know. And he's on the board of, 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 uh, of ESCOM. So the whole thing just smelt, just smelt wrong. Do you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, we were upset. Yes, because we were upset because we were cheated. But we're more upset because we knew that where it was going, it had no future. We knew that. And and that's that. When you've been like, I was there twelve and a half years, and I Commodore was part of my DNA. I couldn't wait to get to work every day. It was the most incredible place to work. And there was, yeah, there was some shit times, of course there was, but I absolutely loved it. We were at the, especially in the UK, we were at the forefront of what was happening. We were in control of our business. We built our UK business to a hundred million pound turnover, and and that's no mean feat in a tough market like the UK. But when we see it going off to people like Eskom and people like Petra Lechenko, who's also a liar, um, you know, you know that it's it's going to end up, you know, in some kind of tragedy. It had. It was the only way it was going to end up. Well, the thing is, in the history of whoever had the uh, Commodore brand, I mean, there was a success later on. I mean, after ASCOM, it went to Gateway 2000, and then it went to Tulip. And Tulip was quite successful with the DTV in 2004, which was first sold over QVC. And um, and they went bankrupt as well after having owned Commodore. So yeah. for some reason, um, um, but whoever owns the Commodore it's, it's brand, cursed. it's is a getting, cursed brand. Yes, it's getting bankrupt after a while. So um, except the phone guys, but they don't really own anything; they're just using it. Yeah, no, but yeah. you're wrong. There. You're wrong there. You know, I know those guys. Everybody, everybody thinks that these are some. Uh, they're no different to anybody else. They bought, they registered the name Commodore Business Machines mm -hmm. in the UK because it was available. Mm -hmm. And 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 the guy Massimo, who is the guy, an Italian guy, who he, he owns this, his company. He is the, one of the biggest Commodore fans you'll oh. ever meet in your life. Oh, right? I know. Yeah, we, we spoke to them uh, when they were coming out with their first phone, the the, the pet yeah. phone. Yeah, we had I an mean, interview with them. Yeah. yeah, we had, you know, and and our review wasn't exactly fantastic of the phone. Yeah, there. Okay, yeah. Is that the pet or is that the Leo? That's the pet. That's okay, the pet. yeah, yeah. It's it's it was a generic Android phone. You know, it was based on a on a on a Chinese model, the Wa phone. It was a good enough phone. I I thought it was a bit expensive, but but the impression that we got from them was that they they were doing this because they loved the brand and. You know, uh, Paolo Besser and Massimo Canigiani, the, the two guys that we spoke to, were huge fans. They still are, and uh, Massimo posts stuff in Commodore groups constantly. Yeah, you know, of course. About I, that. I was, I was, I was talking to him about four days ago. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I actually went over to to meet them in Milan for, for the simple reason that um, I am trying to get friend. Uh, install pre-installed on their phones everyone that they release hmm. but i won't do that i won't do that until they've got their 5g model coming out okay but the point i'm trying to make is that 
they have every single right because they bought yeah. and paid for that. They have every single right to produce something, and I think I would do exactly the same as them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy an apple and want to charge you know two thousand quid for it. There's many companies. I've just bought a brand new laptop. Right, I'm not using it at the moment. A brand new laptop from a company called Chewy. And Chewy are what they call OEM manufacturers. They make for anybody, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I bought a, what was, a, you know, a, about an eighteen hundred pound laptop that you with somebody else's name on it for two hundred pounds because they are the manufacturers. What the hell is wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that at all. No, and no. if I and and, and if, if I if I'd have put, um, you know, say an HP badge on there and had to pay seven hundred or eight hundred quid for it, I think well, that's a rip off. So uh, I, I, I'll defend you know, Commodore business machines, and they're actually going to be producing um, tablets. They're going to be producing probably even laptops mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, and I say good luck to them. I think, I think what they're doing is absolutely fine. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, even, um, even in, in the review that I did for it, I, you know, I made the, the comment that Commodore, the original Commodore way back when, used to take um, manufactured uh uh, typewriters from Europe and whatnot, and they'd bring it in and stick their name on it. You know, they oh, get, absolutely. That, yeah, that's how Jack. That's how Jack. Well, Jack Tamil started off um, by by selling other people's stuff, and then right. he decided it might be an idea to make his own. The first products he made of his own was calculators, mm -hmm. and he was buying his chip from Casio, and he was buying. He eventually was doing really well, and eventually Casio thought, "Hang on, mm -hmm. we're missing a trick here." So they started making their own phones. And then they were charging him a lot more for these. And so it, they priced him out of the market, right? But he started that way. Then he went on to watches. And then uh, each time, the, 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 what was happening was that the products that he was trying to get hold of, the, the components, were being, um, he was being frozen out of. Um, so then he had the opportunity to buy the, um, the, the chip factory um, uh, not far from Westchester. And... Um, so when they bought their own chip factory, then of course they're in, they're in control of their own future in that in that regard. But there was absolutely no doubt. You look at all of the peripherals that, that Commodore sold that were made by other people. We didn't do a very good job at at, um, at, at sourcing them. You know, 1541 drives. For God's sake, they were terrible and they were really expensive. But uh, that, that's I think a trick that that Commodore missed is that they they could have gone in. They should have gone into partnership, for example, with GVP. Mm -hmm. Commodore should have worked with GVP and said, right, this is our logo. You can use our logos, work to our designs. So the engineers talk to each other and they know everything works properly and they share the spoils. That's what I, what I certainly would have done. Because why, you know, why go into, you don't want to go into competition with somebody. You want to work with them. You get a team of people around you who all work together and you know everything's going to be fine. Right, right. Well, I mean... I mean, not only the 1541 who um, destroyed themselves by overheating after a few hours, but also the first power supply units from the Pratt bin C64s in um, in USA. They were actually causing house fires because well, no, curtains would 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 yeah. go into flames and sadness-filled resin bricks. Well, no, I can tell you, I can tell you the true story about 64 power supplies. The guy that was responsible for component sourcing, okay, a guy called Dave, um, oh, David, David Spires. His name is David Spires, right? And he was based in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I took some, I took some dealers to Hong Kong one time, and and he took uh, myself and a couple of other Commodore people and a couple of my dealers out for a night on the town, which was pretty special. But anyway, what happened was that. Uh, 
I can only assume that there must have been a backhander somewhere because he we were buying up 64 power supplies in huge volumes from some supplier when suddenly we changed supplier uh, and it, it, maybe it costs us 10 15 cents less or something I don't know but what I do know is that a lot of those power supplies came to the UK and when people plugged them in it took all the chips off the motherboard boom 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 and it cost Commodore an absolute fortune and the warranty repairs because these bloody 10 cent saving cost us you know a hundred bloody dollars to fix them so that's the kind of thing that happened and and again it's all down it's all down to the, the basic principle that Commodore as a business they never ever had a business plan of any kind and they never did external auditing so they never knew if somebody had reported sales they never knew whether they were real or not because they never checked them so they were assuming that they'd made all these sales and and Bernard Van Tienen in particular because he used to brag to all of us I swear to on my life every general manager's meeting he would brag that when the quarter end came if he was under target which he always was he would write invoices he would put product on a truck and send it on a journey for five days so it went out of the warehouse at the last day of the quarter and came back in the first day of the new quarter <laughs> and having claimed the sale having claimed his commission and his bonus he did it every quarter without exception so Commodore head office is looking and saying oh we've done all these sales and we've got all this money to hand and this was all over the place you know <laughs> okay oh, i didn't know that power supply story that's interesting that's, yeah. i you only you only told me once about the uh, monitor story yeah it was from the other side of the globe <laughs> yeah well see I mean, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Petro Nechenko because I love to hate him. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, basically, he, he, he cheated us from, from our management buyer. He personally, and he's admitted it, so I know it's absolutely true. But what I'm, what I'm really annoyed about is that he's told everybody from the moment he came onto the scene with Amiga Technologies that he was responsible for, for all, this, all, the sale, all the product sales around, the, the, around Europe. And that's an absolute, complete and utter lie. His job was, I think the, the title was, um, it, it, was um, it was product logistics, okay? And what that meant was that um, every, every one of us in charge of sales, we had to forecast, of course, for the next three months. Now, sometimes you get it wrong, obviously. Right. Uh, and, and, and so his job was to make sure that the right product was in the right warehouse at the right time. So a, a perfect example of that was when I completely screwed up my forecast when we launched the Batman pack, because I committed to 10,000 pieces of making the Batman pack, we sold 186,000 machines in 12 weeks. So suddenly I need a lot more um, uh, Amigas than before, which not such a problem. But more than that, you always need a percentage of things like monitors. So I needed a lot more monitors to go with the, you know, 186,000 machines I'd sold. So that was my cock-up, my fault. But what does Petro Tuchenko do? He, he searches around and he says, oh, Australia, they've got, they've got monitors, a lot of monitors in Australia. And they're 240 volts, which they are. So what does he do? He sends a whole load of monitors by air 
you know how much they cost to send a monitor by air? He sent hundreds and hundreds of monitors over to me in the UK, and they're not compatible. <laughs> they're not compatible because they have the wrong, they've got, they've got the, the wrong circuitry. You know, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, Polarization, uh, I think it's different. Uh, yeah, polarity. Polarity, polarity. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the easy way to explain that is if you if you're brushing your teeth and you look down and you see the way that the water goes down your your sinkhole, in Australia it's the opposite way around, obviously, right? So when you've got a tube and it's got a wire, copper wire all around on the back of it, it's the wrong way around. It has to polarity has to be right for the country, and he, he shipped all of these bloody monitors at a massive cost that were absolutely useless to it to us. We couldn't use them. It would have cost more to rewind them than it was to, you know, than, than to scrap them. But that's an example of what I'm talking about, right? Uh, hmm. I, I, find, I find that really um, unforgivable. Yeah. Because if you don't even know, you know, what product belongs where, you know, terrible. But... Um, But anyway, so uh, so this getting getting back to the to the the new book, um, I think there are um, from what I can understand, our community is almost gagging to find out the truth because there is so much that went on. I mean, as I said, this lawsuit's even running now, um, which I believe will in fact be reasonably quickly resolved. Um, The other, the other parts of the book, apart from, from telling all that story, I'm telling about all the great companies and the products that they've developed that are such fantastic products um, and how they survived and what they've done. Um, I'm also going to have a chapter in there. Uh, I don't know how big that will be, but a chapter basically is these are the significant figures in Commodore Amiga's history and where are they now? Because a lot of people have moved all over the place, and I think our, our community would like to know that, you know. For example, um, a guy that I that worked on Amiga for a, a long time, um, uh, Randall Jessup, um, he was, he's one of the software people. He's now one of the head honchos at Mozilla. So people don't know that, but I mean, I think they'd like to know that, that you know, it, and, and, and where, where people are working now, obviously people know RJ and they know that he's at Google now. But I'm going to do quite a bit of that. The other thing I want to do is to put a chapter in at the end, which has been my vision of how things are going to go from like from now for the next five years. Um, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I've got I've got in, I've got information about certain technologies that are coming that will have a big impact on what on what our our community are doing. Um, and I'll give you an example of that just so people know. Um, you know that uh, that Elon Musk is launching all of these satellites. Mm. Uh, the, fir the first batch is like it's 1,260, then it's um, 12,000, the next batch, and the last will be 42,000 satellites. So, on, so they're all going to be all around the globe, and they're going to be beaming down um, basically broadband. Right. So that means that you're going to get broadband in all the countries where they don't get it at the moment, Africa and all those nations, that everybody will have access to it. And it's going to be very powerful as well. So that is going to change everything. So that means that products that today are top technology here, in, in five years' time, they'll be the new technology in Africa. That product will still be saleable, and, they will, and because it will be a lot cheaper than new technology 
we'll have you know more more things and stuff going on it. I I perceive there becoming a time when um, we won't be carrying mobile phones. They'll be a part of us of our clothing, and they'll do all sorts of things. The power of them will be unstoppable because the power is not in the actual machine itself. It's what's up in the cloud and how it's being um, delivered. Mm-hmm. So. That, that's just something, I, you know, that's kind of what my vision is for what, how things are, and there's several other things as well. But more importantly, my vision is for how I think the community will be, and I think there is a way forward that will bring everybody together uh, in a way that's never been before, and, and, and if, that, if we can do that, bring everybody under one umbrella, um, that would be one hell of a powerful uh, community force. That's what I think. Did I get that right? You said uh, in a by sentence that you think this last thing will be resolved in a way or another. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. I think there, there's there is an, one outstanding one at the moment that I believe um, is is about to be resolved. Um, that doesn't that doesn't mean to say there won't be any more, but. Um, But I think I think I think what is happening is that people are, are getting older and a bit wiser, and I think there is less inclination to um, uh, to keep fighting uh, than there was when people were a bit younger and they had a bit more aggression and stuff like that. I think it's become like oh my god, not more of this, you know. <laughs> and I think yeah, everybody everybody's wanting really to um, uh, with, with a bit of luck to stop um, this happening, you know. Well, in in the case of Kickstart, as AJ mentioned, um, there is uh, fortunately Aros, which um, is the Kickstart replacement. And interestingly, um, we had to modify our magazine system to run on it. And mm-hmm. on the last Amiga, I was talking to Rich, Richard Löwenstein, who is doing Reshoot R, and he's also modifying his uh, his game to work on it. So right now everybody is um, well writing software to make it compatible with the Kickstart replacement, though they don't have to go into this lawsuit yeah, yeah. license thing. Yeah, which was that the Arrows which, Arrows Kickstarter? Yeah, Arrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so everybody is working on that right now. So that's at least um, a workaround, but I guess it's not a really a final solution. Um, I, I never understood how how this could even happen to be a fight, you know. Well, I it's such a – it's so convoluted because one person owns yeah. Kickstart, one person owns the OS, one person owns this, one person owns that. When uh, yeah. Hyperion came out with 314 uh, a year or two ago, I mean, that was a big – that was a big thing too because Cloanto was – complaining about about that and and then they changed their tune and said that no we're actually okay with it but we just wish that they you know talk to us first or some something like that it was it's it's all a a a, a big just a just a mm. yeah it's it, it's a mishmash of um of things that went wrong but it all gets back to what i said at the beginning people were buying things or getting a hold of things not for any you know, productive reason or productive um, uh, objective. They just wanted to be in control of something and, 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 and then and then be difficult about it. Or maybe they would just want to say, look, you know, you can use it, but I want I want $2 for every time you use it sort mm-hmm. of thing. 
It was, it was, it's all greed-based. Not all of it, but a lot of it is greed-based. Now, there are some companies who, who actually put a lot of money into things that they really wanted to happen, and then for one thing or another, that didn't work, things fell through. Um, but my, my objective in this book is to try and bring it all out into the open uh, and explain everything that happened and, and, in a way, why. And especially if I can get to the people who were involved at the time get to them now and, and get their version of the story, then it, then whatever whatever your opinion of, of what you read is, you will have had the, the written version when it happened and the today's version, and then you make up your own mind sort of thing. But at least the full story will be there, which is why I think the book is going to do well, because I think it is bringing to uh, this huge community's attention um, exactly what happened, because it's been so much in the dark. Uh, it's something you don't talk about, you whisper, you know, and, and it's ridiculous when you think about it because we all want the same thing. It's interesting because all this uh, book craze that everybody who worked at Commodore or whatever company, you know, started writing a book, that all happened when uh, Brian Becknell re released his, his first Commodore book in 2005, um, On the Edge. The mm -hmm. Race and Fall of Commodore. So it's it's really crazy how one book about a company can start well, um, yeah, a Rolling Stone process. One person writes a book and everyone's like, oh, we got to correct that. So we'll write our own book. I mean, I mean, obviously, I have not um, I've not read Petro's. I don't read German, and I, um, but uh, I don't I don't know what truth there is in Petro. Petro's. Petro does not have anywhere near the broad depth of, of, of experience because I worked all over the world with Commodore in, in the States and, and in, in, in the Switzerland looking after 35 countries and in the UK and Europe. And so my perspective, and, and everybody who's read the book, you see, what you see is what you get. It's absolutely true. There's no lies in there. And um, I'm really happy about that. And everybody who's read the book, as you know, said this is a really good book because it's Now we understand what happened and why it happened. Now we understand what the 600 was all about. What a fuck up that was, you know. And and I've told the complete truth because my purpose at the time, we I knew that we were not going to sell any more 64s, and I did not want to lose that target audience who could only afford maybe 200 pounds. So I went to Medialy and said, let's make a cut down low cost Amiga that will you can at least start with. And then as you want, you can add to it and make it bigger and better as you can afford to. Right? I said, our target price point, I think we can get them up from £200 to £250, £249 sort of price. That was the target. Call it an Amiga 300, so there's no illusions about it not being a 500 or anything better. And what do they do? They make something that costs more to make than the 500. Yeah. They called it the 600. And then, and, and so it killed the 500 sales, which we're making more money on. It's like a self-inflicted bloody, it's like a, a suicide, isn't it? You're doing it, killing yourself. Right, right. And interesting, there's another German book by Rainer Bender, who worked at uh, the end-user customer support hotline. And he said, he wrote about the Amiga 600, that they actually had customers undoing the purchase and exchanging the 600 with the 500 because many got a 500 so sold it and bought a 600 instead and yeah. then they were sour that the yeah, 600 absolutely. was actually worse than absolutely. the 500 i mean there were a couple of features on the 600 which were better 
um, than the 500. But generally speaking, the 500 was a better product. And and so, I mean, how can you, what they did is Commodore shot themselves in their own foot and, and they took good aim. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's sorry, true. sorry. Yeah. No, it's true. It's so true, you know. And this is why, you know, when the company was under the control of, of somebody like Medi Alley, Actually, it's, some, it's a funny story. I'll tell you. You're the first one I'm going to tell this to. And all the time, I, people talk to me about it. And they always said to me, "What was it like working for Mediali? What's it like?" And then the other day, it occurred to me. I, I, I saw that, and I thought, "I know. I was under medication. Medi M E H C I K medication. That's I had to be under medication to work for him." Because <laughs> somebody said to me, "How would you describe uh, Mediali?" And I said. He was like a Pakistani Danny DeVito. <laughs> and that's exactly what he looks like. <laughs> uh, you got to laugh. You have to laugh. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's so sad in a way, especially because, um, as you mentioned earlier, it's probably also in the book that Commodore UK and Commodore Germany actually had a PC had a yeah, PC oh, yeah. series for a while. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yes. Yeah, I know. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't very good. But I will, I will tell you this. That in 1992, <laughs> I, I was, in 1992, I worked uh, in Commodore US, Commodore Inc. Um, in Westchester, based in Westchester. And they gave me, because um, I was dealing with all the, the big accounts, the Sears and uh, all the big store chains. That was my role as vice president of the, of the consumer division. And the, the guys gave me a, um, what you'd call a, um, it was a little bit bigger than a tablet. But it was much smaller than a laptop. I, I don't know, I, was, I guess it was about this size. And it was a 386, this size in 1992. And they said to me, take it around and, and get some feedback from the customers, what, what they think of it. And uh, I could have sold thousands of them. As soon as I took it in, I said, well, we want some. When can we have them? Well, they're only just a prototype. I don't think they even developed anything, but it was a really nice little product, you know. But, um, you know, we, we were crazy, we, the way that we dealt with business. I mean, we should never have ever made our own um, PCs when they're coming out of the Far East at the prices that they were coming out at. Yeah, but, but interesting is, interesting is my, com- my grandfather had a Commodore 64, and then when my when my mother was saying, okay, I'm taking a PC course and I'm getting Word 5, she got a Commodore PC because we had Commodore before in the household. Yes. But it was a clear choice to get a, a Commodore PC, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's a sad thing, but I think the problem is, is that if you... If you're not on top of your game, if you're not watching every single cent, and before you know it, people are undercutting you with a quali- better quality product at a lower price, and you therefore, you've got to make a decision. Am I going to go into the rat race of dropping my price and dropping my price? Or am I going to try and make something that's much better, so it's a Rolls Royce instead of a Lada or a Skoda, um, but it's a tough decision to make. But if you're going to be an also ran, you're an also ran. You're just an also ran, just the same, same and same and same. It doesn't matter whose badges on it. Then it's a mugs game, because people then they'll buy on price, um, or they'll pay a lot of money, like for they pay for for Macs these days. Mm-hmm. They're never worth that much money. 
know why they worth that much money, but they did a good job of marketing themselves as being the only product. Sure. But there's there's a massive, massive, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, a blowback about Apple iPhones now. People, are, the quality is rubbish. It's coming out of, they're all being made in China. And people are saying, oh, why should I be paying £2,000 for this? It's rubbish. And the stuff like the, the, the Who Are We, the new stuff that they're bringing, the 5G stuff, with some of the cameras and things in, they're incredible. And they're, they're like, they're £1,000 cheaper. I know what I've, I've, in fact, I've got a Huawei. That's what, that's what I'm using, not that one. I'm using a Huawei uh, at the moment. And, and um, that's what people do. They, I know Apple have got this cult following, but it don't take long before that of wane. They, they've not got the following like Commodore and Amiga has got. Mm-hmm. It's just people, people, people like to say, I've got an iPhone. You know, the fact that it's rubbish. It's <laughs> yeah, or people, because you know, I use a, a Mac laptop. That's what I'm, I'm using right now to do this, and I do all my video and audio editing and everything on it. It's from 2012 because it's the last model that you could actually upgrade. So my, it's all, you know, it's maxed out. But, I, you know, and I was pretty much an Apple um, user, and I had an iPhone, but I, I switched. I, I, I have an Android now that that right. i i use because because the iphone like you said the quality is crap coming out of it and they're offering you know i can't expect i can't put extra storage and i'm stuck with my you know 64 gigs or whatever you know paltry amount they're they're giving you same thing with the with the laptops and everything it, you know they give you 250 gigs uh, you know or like 120 gigs as your base hard drive who can you i mean my laptop right now has three terabytes in it right you know and i'm using a good portion of that you know (laughs) how can you survive on 120 gigs or 250 gigs that they're giving you in a in a two thousand dollar laptop that's not worth it at all yeah i agree with you i totally agree with you uh, I've got I've got a couple of um, um, uh, USB um, memory sticks, mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they're 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 two terabytes each. Right, right. And and that's fa- so it's fantastic. And so it doesn't matter how limited your laptop is. If you got those, it's, you, you, you're not a problem at all. And they were as cheap as chips. I think it was about twenty quid a piece or something. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous price, you know. Yeah. So, um, so it's uh, life is changing very dramatically, very quickly. So, yeah, listen, boys, are you gonna are you gonna um, send me your story that you're telling me about um, how, you, how you wanted to uh, do a magazine online and, and and how you were thwarted? Sure. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Do that. Send it to me, and um, I'll get it. I'll I'll get it checked English wise to make sure that um, the English language is right. And I'll, I'll oh yes, it, my English oh, is not perfect. I'll, yeah, I'll. I'll you throw it through me, Jurg. I'll, I'll edit it for you. I'm a. That's my my. That's my day job is writing. So. Ah, uh, good. Um, I, the thing is, I don't know how long it's going to take me to write the book. Probably, I'm I'm saying to everybody it's going to be spring, like February time. But um, we may be able to get it out quicker than that. I really don't know, because I've got all this information from from Trevor, and there's a lot of it, but it's all there. Um, I've just got to make I've got to make it make sense of it in terms of chronologically and you know the right people in that and then I'm going to add in my bits from each part um, and then it, then it's going to go over to the same guy who did all the, the layout for my last book um, uh, he's going to do exactly the same thing because he did such a great job and I'll be going to the same printers because the quality was fabulous 
Um, so, not quite sure when it's going to come out. But uh, anyway, the Kickstarter is is on now. It's running until the 19th of July. Yeah, where can people uh, go to find out about this? Well, first of all, they can go to my website. I've got, I've got a brand new website, which is davidpleasance.com. So okay. that makes pretty that's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is is the Kickstarter itself, which is um, from uh, from Vultures to Vampires. Um, if they put, type that in, uh, that'll come up as well. Okay, and we will put links to all of this in the podcast description, so people can just click to it and go straight there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other thing too is if people are still interested in buying the current book. Um, I've got, I'm guessing, because I was actually onto it today, I'm guessing I've got about 200 left. Okay. Um, certainly no more than that. And I'm doubtful if I'm going to print another run, because the minimum run they they do is 500. Uh, and that could take a very long time to sell after it's, you know, it's been out almost two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Go on. Have you considered print-on-demand? Just a question. Uh, well, not in the case of a, hard, of a hardback, but people can download either an, e, an EPUB or a Mobi or a PDF, and if they want to get it, you know, print it up smartly, it's up to them. That's always around. And that's, that's, I've got some levels on the Kickstarter that include that. So there's some, there's some very, very good uh, deals. I've not put a lot on there. There's a... There's, um, uh, an ebook of the new book because mm-hmm. that will come out first. Because once I've got the transcript ready to send to the printers, we can turn it into a, 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 an ebook, you know, within a couple of days. So that will come out first. That's fifteen pounds for the for the, and that will be the first one available. The standalone book on its own is thirty pounds, the same as the current book is. Um, all of the, I mean, obviously with the, with the hardback book, you've got um, shipping costs which I have no control over, and they look expensive, but unfortunately, it's what they are, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's um, £7 for the UK, because the book, remember, I'm my, my, my plan and what I've outlined in the Kickstarter is to at least be the equivalent of the old, of the first book. So that, that and that comes out at about 1.2 kilos, mm-hmm. the book, right? So that's what I'm planning for. Now, it may end up getting bigger, it could end up getting smaller. I, I somehow doubt it. But I've had, to, I've had to work on that basis enough. So I put my shipping costs in based on what I think they're going to be. Um, and I think it's £7 for the UK. I think it's 9 It might be 9 Actually, no, was, we wanted to do 9 50 but the Kickstarter wouldn't let us. They rounded it up to 10 Yeah. To anywhere to Europe. And then the rest of the world is 13. We want to do 12.50, but they round, they make you round it up to 13. <laughs> That's true. That's what yeah. I had that before, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so basically there is, um, uh, then after the book on its own, I said it's 30 pounds, and there's um, an 8-bit lovers um, bundle. And, and what that includes is it's a hardback book. It's also, you can download as a, a, a new um, film, uh, spectrum, uh, sorry, um, Confessions of a Spectrum Addict Director's Cut that uh, Andy Remick has, um, has just done a new, so that's down a download of that. There'll be a down a download of um, the uh, uh, of the current book um, available, and and also 
what I'm giving away free on that level is um, uh, there's a, my son's band, my two son's band. They've got a brand new album. It's not even out yet. Right, it's not been released yet. So there's a download of that. I'm giving it away free of charge. Hmm. And there's also, I, I see the audio book version of the... Uh, of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Which what, what narrated you, by our friend yeah, Dan what Wood. You can this. Yeah, what you can do is you can, when you, if you order the the bumper pack, one of them is the 8-bit one, and the other one is the Amiga one. Which that fe- The film that features is the Amiga 2020, which is a brand new one that, um, that Waverman, uh, Steve is, uh, Fletch is putting out. But... You, you then have a, you can have a choice. You can download either an, the ebook of the of the current book, or you can download the audio book mm-hmm. um, plus plus the film plus the, the download of, of the new album of my son's album. Which is, uh, I know I'm biased because they're my sons, but I'm telling you the albums. <laughs> it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. You wait, wait till you hear it. It's phenomenal. And then there's a bumper bundle which basically has everything in. I'm not doing anything that that adds to the shipping because it's so expensive i mean somebody said to me what you know why aren't you doing things like um hats or or you know things like that and i said because it adds to the shipping cost and sure. and uh, you know and, and maybe maybe i can get hats for two or three quid but they cost that much to ship right right it just doesn't make any sense to me at all you know mm-hmm. so i've kept it very simple levels You've got the you've got the Kickstarter up on screen, have you? Yes, absolutely. And I, and I also want to point <laughs> out to the listeners that that the amount that you know, the different uh, the different pledge levels. I mean, even the 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 highest level is sixty pounds or more, which is not yeah. sixty pounds is not going to put a dent in many people's wallet. So it's uh, not like uh, you're asking a thousand dollars or anything from individual people. Yeah, the, no. The, I mean, I'm very um, have to be cognizant of the reality that with this COVID virus. Uh, COVID um, uh, virus, people, a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people are on, on low pay. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I am not um, I'm not a greedy person. I, I just want what I think is a fair price. And that's why I wanted to make the bundles really good value for money because I think anybody, if you pay £30 and you just get the book or you pay £40 and you get all those extras, I know what I would do. Mm-hmm. And 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 because they they already exist those things you see apart from apart from my son's um, album, but I'm actually going to be paying them something for it because I want I want I just want to get them a brand new audience, mm-hmm. and I I think with an album that's a really good way of doing it you know I mean I expect to get uh, probably probably in the end there'll be about two thousand people end up buying from me, from the Kickstarter and then. And then um, afterwards, after the Kickstarter's finished, but by direct from the website. So that's 2,000 people that listen to a brand new band that would never have listened to them before. And I think it's a really good way. If they like it, and of course that's the thing to I am 100% sure that they like it because mm-hmm. I know I know how bloody good it is, you know. Yeah. Um, so there you are, gentlemen. And um, um, what I wanted to say is before we end, if if you well, want I, I any also, content, yeah, if you this. want, yeah, if you want to, if you want to use any content we have done, mm-hmm. um, Amiga related, feel free to to ask me about it, David, and and, and then publish it. I mean, for example, I know that Yesh Terakura from Commodore Japan, he will not do any other uh, contribution or interview whatsoever because. Um, He's a very, you know, humble and shy guy, and um, he he would not participate in other things, you know. So, so basically, what you're saying is, if he wants to use any any quotes or anything from our interviews, then yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Yes, well, sure. well, well, now that you know that basically what I'm looking for, mm -hmm. if you've got anything you think might be pertinent, relevant, send it to me. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, honestly, if I can use it, I will, because I love people who contribute stuff because I don't have all the answers. Who the hell am I? Right, you know? right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not a guru, you know. And, and everything I do through my whole history, I do it with a team mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm only as good as the team I've got around me. And that's why that's why I'm using exactly the same team for this book. I've got Dan Wood doing you know all the social media for me, um, and I mean he's is is the best. He's he really, a good guy. Really is. We love Dan yeah. Wood. I've got uh, I've got Paul Kitching doing uh, most of the graphic design for me because he's fantastic. He did the first book uh, with me. Um, I, I I haven't involved as yet Marcel Frankenay, Amiga Marcel, but he he was involved with the design of the first book cover. I haven't only now because he's been busy, but we haven't designed the back yet, so he's going to be involved in that. And I've also got um, uh, Wayne Ashworth. Uh, he is he is. If you look at the, the the vulture, the actual bird, he's hand drawn that because we could not get what we wanted from pictures and things. So I've got. <laughs> and he actually did. He actually did the the Commodore building on the first book. Hmm. If you look at that. So so I've got that team. I've got the same guy doing. Going to do the the layout for me of the book itself and i'm going to have the same printer so because if you've got a team that works why fit why change it right you know sure yeah. sure and and i really but i really totally believe in that that you're only as good as the people around you you know mm -hmm. so if if you find anything at all that you think might be of interest please wing it over to me and uh, if i if you, i can find it a way to use it i certainly will and you'll get credited I, I always believe in cre crediting people, you know, for what they've uh, contributed. Mm -hmm. well, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate uh, it. Well, thank you yeah, for sitting with us. Thanks. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Good to see you virtually, even yeah. if not in person this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like it was last night. I was on air three hours last night. Yeah. Live on air, with, and people were asking questions. It was fantastic, really. Really, really good. But oh, yeah. Three, Three hours in one go. I mean, now I know what it's like to be a professional DJ. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Amiga Bill, he, Bill Winters, he's amazing. He's uh, he's, amazing. he's a he's a lovely lovely guy. We we uh, we get on really really well, and um, oh, I get on well with everybody. I think most people know that. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. boys, back, thanks a lot, boys, and um, yep. you know, good luck, and I'll wait to hear back from you then. All right. Yeah, sure. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Bye bye. So that was David Pleasance. Uh, you can check out everything that he's doing at davidpleasance.com. Uh, we'll put links to that and to his Kickstarter campaign in the podcast description below. Um, check out what he's doing. Everybody should should um, you know donate to that. There's there's and again the, the the price tiers are all very. I'm motioning like people can see me, and that's it. I'm so used to a video podcast at this point. I'm just moving around like 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 I'm, I'm illustrating points um the the price points on the different tiers that you can get are all very very reasonable even like the highest one is well within the the ballpark of what is not going to hurt your wallet so please check that out let's get this book made and uh yeah you know where to find us i'm here and york is there um you can if you want to message us it's 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 podcast at sceneworld.org um yeah. and of course you know the website is where you are probably sitting right now watching us yeah cedarville.org yes watching us in the we or, audio podcast. Or, or listening to us listening to us oh my god <laughs>
Anyway, until next time. Yeah. See you later. See ya. And I just saluted like they could see me too. Good God. Yeah.